This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. My name is Adam and uh, I realize uh, I haven't spoken at church in about six months. Actually, we were at the community center still at that point. And on my way over here this morning, I thought of uh, how spoiled I was being in this building because uh, if you didn't go to the uh, community center before, we used to meet on Saturday or sometimes Sunday morning at the crack of dawn and set the whole place up and then we'd have to stay two hours later and clean it up. And I'm going to speak on community and actually I kind of miss that a little bit. I kind of miss that camaraderie I had with a set group of guys. We would uh, bust out setting up all the chairs and all the sound equipment. Um, But then when I got here this morning, I'm like, maybe I really don't miss setting all that stuff up. I really don't. Um, So since I haven't spoken in a while and uh, everyone might not know exactly who I am, I thought I'd put up a a quick picture uh, of my family and introduce myself. My name is Adam. uh, I was raised in San Jose, my whole life, and then me and my wife went to uh, college down in Southern California. Somehow I convinced her to go to the same school as me, even though she got into way better schools. The greatest con I ever pulled. Um, I have two daughters. Uh, that middle one there is Madeline. Uh, this week, Madeline had to, she was supposed to have three teeth pulled on Monday because she has janky teeth just like I do. And they needed to make room to put some spacers in to, to make room for these adult teeth. She goes to the dentist on Monday and they look in her mouth and say, your teeth fell out, the ones that we were going to pull. So she didn't end up having to get her teeth pulled. That was awesome. The next one there is Savannah. She's our youngest. She is seven. And on the right there, that's my wife, Elisa. She works for Stitch Fix, which is a company that styles clothes for people. Obviously, you can tell I had nothing to do with this outfit this morning. Um, So that's a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm honored. Thank you so much for uh, letting me speak up here today. I really appreciate the opportunity. I can't wait to um, see what God has in store for us today. Um, One of the best things that I like about baseball. I'm a huge baseball fan. Uh, Ever since 1990, 1991, my best friend Justin Fleury invited me to go to a Giants game. His whole family was big Giants fans. And I can remember it was a candlestick park, and I can remember walking up, and I didn't know much about baseball at the time, and there's these big two doors that open up when you go out into a field-level seat. And I saw the greenest green I'd ever seen, and it was a nice day at candlestick. It wasn't one of those overcast, dreary, cold days. It was beautiful. Um, and I was, I've been hooked ever since. And one of the things I like about baseball is all this terminology that only really true baseball fans know. Uh, there's RBIs, there's whips, there's home runs, there's doubles, triples, there's strikeouts, there's whip. There's all these different acronyms and stuff that only true baseball fans know. And there's, there's a term called a big inning. Has anyone ever heard of a big inning before? couple hands up. That's when your team scores three or four or five different runs in an inning. It's called a big inning. And I'm going to prove to everybody in this room that baseball is God's favorite sport. So what I want you to do is grab your Bible. It's in the seat in front of you. Go ahead, grab it. Flip to about five pages in, and you're going to go to Genesis. The very first line in Genesis, okay? About five lines in your Bible. It says, in the big inning. Okay, I thought it would do better than that. Okay. So today we're going to continue our series called Home Run Life, and I'm going to do just a real quick recap of where we've been the last two weeks. Um, So in order to win, uh, to be in a home run life, we said that the biggest thing that we think about is success, and then sometimes we think about doing it with someone, and we might think about ourselves, and then we want to have significance, I don't know, did I spell that right? 
You got it in my head there, Pastor. Okay. And so we have these four things that we're chasing. And we learned the last couple of weeks that society often starts at success. They start at third base, sometimes at the cost of their own self, or sometimes at the cost of someone, and more often than not, at the cost of being significant. We learned that these bases also have some ties with some different C words, so connection. When we start at home base, the most important thing is to have a connection with God. And most people in society today start a success. They really aren't going to start with a connection in God. We then learned last week, Pastor brought a message about character. And he gave us some really good insight about um, building your own character and making the right decisions. And it made me think of a really good baseball analogy to build on what he said last week. In baseball, when you're standing at the plate, the pitcher's going to throw a pitch. It could be 100 miles an hour. It could be 60 miles an hour. They do their best to try to make you miss. And that's what society does these days. They throw curveballs at you. They throw screwballs. Uh, screw they throw knuckleballs. And you're standing there. You don't quite know when to swing. But once in a while, the pitcher will throw right down the middle of the plate. And if you don't swing at it, that's a strike. And sometimes that's like in life, too. God might throw you something right down the plate. Hey, somebody invited you to church. And you just watch the pitch go by. You just take it. If you take three of those strikes, you're out, right? God might be in your life throwing pitches right down the plate. Society's throwing you crazy curveballs. And you're swinging at the right ones and taking... Uh, swinging at the wrong ones and taking the right ones. And what happens sometimes when we take one of those pitches, we look back at the umpire and say, hey, that wasn't a strike. Some people will do that in society too, right? Pitch comes by, they don't swing at it. God, what are you doing? How come I'm not getting this promotion at work? He's throwing you the right pitches, we're just not swinging at them. So that's a build on our character from last week. This week we're going to talk about community. Next week we're going to wrap it up with competence. And community is one of my favorite things uh, to talk about. It's funny that Pastor asked me to speak on this. My wife gets so sick of me talking about um, community and tribe and how we all are meant to be together and work together and accomplish tasks together. Um, I read a book last year called Tribe by uh, Sebastian Younger, and he talks about how all in human history, we all have a sense of belonging and a sense to work together towards something. Um, and, I, and I started to think on a, on a more biblical sense. Why is that? Why do we have this sense for belonging? Do you remember being in high school and there's all these different cliques and factions? You had people who were good at sports. Uh, you had people like me who was a dork. You had people who were really good at art. You had people who were in a band. And then you had a set group of people who were like anti-community. You know, they might have dressed in darker clothes or looked at a certain way. But they formed a community to hate community. So even in that sense, when you don't like community, you still form a group of people to be together, to have commonalities. No matter what we do, life is always better with someone else. And I was starting to think, why is that? And I think it all falls because God is a community itself. It's a triad. It's God, it's Jesus, and it's the Holy Spirit. And it's not, sometimes when you think about it, it's kind of funky because you think of like three individuals. You think of an old man with a beard and a, and a funky ghost flying around and a little baby Jesus. But in God's sense, it's all together in this uh, uh, this kind of dance. They're all together, and they always complement each other. They always uh, do things for each other in a perfect sense. And in community sometimes, that's what we're striving for. We're striving that because God programmed us that way. When he came down in Genesis, and he molded us, and he breathed life into our lungs to create us, we're made in his image, and that's how God is himself. So I want to do something real quick, because I want you to close your eyes real quick, and I want you to just think about some of the greatest experiences of your life. Just for a second. 
Okay, I thought about uh, I thought about my marriage. I thought about when my kiddos were born. I thought about spending um, summers with my wife's family up in Mount Hermon when we spend a week up there. I think about spending time with my family up at a, a houseboat trip we do every summer. Everything that I could think about was with other people. When you thought about the greatest experiences in your life, did it involve other people? I could tell you what I didn't think of. I didn't think of, uh, let's see, last Saturday when I laid in bed for like an extra hour and I just scrolled through Facebook. I didn't think of that, right? I love social media, don't get me wrong. I love social media, especially like the, the thing on Facebook where it shows you memories that you've posted. It shows you old pictures of stuff. That's the greatest thing that I like about it. Um, but when you're scrolling through that and you're done, you have a sense of emptiness in you, really. You don't feel that much better than when you did when you started. But when you spend time with people and you accomplish something, you, it's the greatest feeling that you have. And that's because God has programmed us that way. So that's some baselines to, to kind of think about today. So at second base, this is called, in baseball, this is called scoring position. And the reason they call it scoring position is because once a runner is on second base, they have a much better chance of getting to home plate. If the person at home plate gets a hit, they're way more likely to score and score a point, right? Scoring position. So today we're going to talk about how do we, first, how do we get from first base, worrying about ourselves and fixing our character, and how do we get to second base, scoring position, and then we're going to talk about once we get there, how do we practice that? So one of the big overlying things that I, I thought about is in our life, we think about how do, we, how do we get to there? And one of the big things is if you figure out what counts on the last day, you'll know what to count on every day. I'll say it again. If you figure out what counts on the very last day, you'll know what to count on every day. Yeah, that's good, right? It's kind of cliche, but a lot of people say, hey, nobody on their deathbed says, I wish I would have worked 40 more hours, right? This week I was uh, prepping for the sermon. I had a very busy week with, uh, uh, with work on Monday. I had uh, a one-on-one with my supervisor, which if you've ever had one of those, it's just always so fun, right? You spend an hour talking about your performance. It's great. Then on Tuesday and Wednesday, I got to uh, work with said supervisor and visit all of my stores and go over all the different things that was going wrong. And then on Thursday, I got to host a meeting with my supervisor and her supervisor and all my managers there and showing what we were doing in the district. And then I'm prepping for this whole sermon. And sometime during the week, my littlest one, Savannah, we both love playing board games. I love board games so much, somehow I talked the pastor into letting me have a board game group at the church. I don't know how he felt for that, but uh, you can come see me after church for the group links. I'll be doing that. Uh, Savannah, she came up to me and she said, hey, Dad, I really want to play a board game. And I'm, I'm knee-deep in an outline and, and reading the book the pastor gave me and looking up some verses. I said, oh, babe, I'm too busy. I'm too busy for that. And she scurried off. She didn't, she didn't mind too much. But then I thought, you know, the very thing that I'm writing about, I literally just did. I literally just shooed my 7-year-old daughter away who wanted to spend time with me. And sometimes we do that with God, don't we? God, I'm too busy to serve. God, I'm too busy to come to church. God, I'm too busy to give money. And so if we figure out what's going to count on that very last day, then we're going to know what to count on every day. And one thing that I, when I was thinking about what to focus on every day, is to think, at least in my own mind, uh, that God is great and I'm not. And my wife gets tired of hearing this because I say this a lot, that we're so small when it comes to the enormity and awesomeness of God. Sometimes we get wrapped up in our own ego, our own choices, things that are going on in our life, and we don't look out to see 
how big and vast God is. So uh, Mike's going to put up a, a real quick picture that I want to share with you guys. So this right here is a picture on Mars of Earth. And you can barely even see it. It's like the tiniest little thing up on the screen there, right? And so every thought you've ever had, every person you've ever known, every strife you've ever had, every bad decision you've ever made, every good decision, everybody, every billionth person who's ever lived is literally that tiny speck in the sky. I just think that's fantastic to know that God is so great and, and I am not. If we read from Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, he says, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times. What is still to come, I say, my purpose will stand and I will do what I please. In order to get from first base over to second base, we have to realize that God is great and that we're not. And sometimes whatever own things you're putting in your own life, there's a bigger purpose involved with that. It made me think of when, uh, in the book of Job, Job is kind of, he's kind of complaining a little bit of his, about his life. God has asked him to do some stuff. He really doesn't want to do it for obvious reasons. You know, he's, he's asking him to go preach a message that ultimately you think he probably is going to get killed for doing, you know. But God says, hey, just take care of this for me. And Job's just kind of saying some things and kind of complaining to God, and God goes on this amazing rant that I really love. I'm not going to read it, but he basically says, hey, Job, do you got to worry about where the lightning bolts go? Hey, Job, do you got to worry about how deep the ocean is? Hey, Job, do you have to worry about the, all the darkness that's in the world, the balance between good and evil? Do you have to worry about the vastness of the universe? And sometimes we think about that, too. Like, when I was talking about Savannah, she comes in, and all she wants to do is play a board game, and she's just complaining about what's for dinner that night. You know, we're not making tacos and burritos for her, so she's super upset about dinner. And I'm thinking about all that work stuff that I have, thinking about this. And sometimes we do that with God, right? I'm thinking, all this stuff that's going on in my life, I don't have time to spend with people. i got to take care of my own stuff at work. And sometimes we chase success at the expense of other people in our life. And we can also do that with God, too. The other point to remember about how to get from first base to second base is to love people and use stuff. Don't love stuff and use people. That's a tongue twister. Love people and use stuff. Don't love stuff and use people. Um, in Second uh, Peter, the Bible says that everything's going to burn in the end, no matter what you have. Everything that we own, everything on this earth, everything's going to be gone. The only thing that's internal is God's word and the souls that we have. It's the only thing that's going to count. So if we focus on what counts on the last day, we should know what to count on every day. Um, I really do enjoy this new movement that's going on with uh, Marie Kondo, I think is her name. My wife's like obsessed with this person on Netflix right now. I don't know if you've seen this, but basically it's throw everything away in your house that you're not using and be very organized. And I've been trying to tell my wife for years, can we just get rid of this stuff? And all of a sudden now because of uh, Marie Kondo, we're starting to get rid of stuff and sell stuff. And I think that's fantastic because in the end, none of that stuff's going to matter anyway. It's all about the time that we spend with people. It's all about the number of people that believe in Jesus. Uh, Linus from, uh, from Charlie Brown, yeah. Linus from Charlie Brown, he has a quote. He says, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. And sometimes we all feel like that, right? We love the idea of everybody, but we just don't want to spend time with people. Um, my dad is 
a great example of this. He loves uh, our family so much, but he's literally moving two hours away so he can live in a house where there's nobody for like four acres on either side of him. God is telling us, hey, actually, it's really important to be in a community, to love on people, because he himself is that way. So once we get to second base, once we focus on what's going to matter every day, and we, we realize that God is great, there's some things that we can practice in order to stay there and then move our way on to succeeding. In Ephesians, it gives a good example. Ephesians 5 through 1, it simply just says, follow God's example. How did Jesus and how did um, he live on the earth, and we can do the same thing. So the first thing that we want to practice is stay committed to keeping your contracts. Basically, just keep your word. All of society is based on this simple, simple fact. When I used to do orientations uh, with employees, I've done dozens, if not hundreds, of orientations. One of the very first things I said is the relationship that we have is built on trust. I work in retail, and at the time I was a store manager, and I would tell people, hey, I'm trusting you to take care of customers. I'm trusting you to... Um, take care of the money that we have. I'm trusting you to do things ethically. Just like you're trusting me to pay you right, to give you a fair schedule. And once any one of those things is broken, what ends up happening? Either somebody gets let go or a bad experience happens or somebody might steal some stuff. All of society is based on keeping your word. Every relationship that we have is based on trust. God has always kept his word. He's never once said he was going to do something and then not done it. And sometimes in society, in order to get success, we go back to breaking our character just to jump all the way to the success thing. And that's something, if we're over in the community, if we're on second base, if we're in scoring position, it's really important uh, to, keep your, to keep your word. Is there anybody who's uh, into cars, like fancy cars in here? We've got a couple? Okay. Um, a couple years ago, there was uh, an unfortunate accident in the Corvette Museum, which is in Kentucky. So I want to show a picture of a car. Um, this right here, I think it's the Z1 Blue Devil, I think it's called. It's the fastest production car ever produced. So this means uh, outside of like NASCAR or some of those professional races, this is the fastest car that you could go buy just off of the line. Um, and I want to show a quick video. There's no sound in this video, so just hang with it. Uh, but we're going to show a quick video of the Corvette Museum a couple of years ago. So you can see uh, the ground starting to fall apart here. This is uh, security footage of the museum. So what ends up happening is underneath the Corvette Museum, a sinkhole started to develop. And a sinkhole is when groundwater just kind of erodes the limestone underneath the ground. So then the ground has nothing hard to sit on. And eventually, there's this big gap that opens up underneath the ground, and then everything falls through it. Mike, put up the picture of the, the blue car after. This is what happened. This is a priceless car um, ends up turning into this. And this is what can happen in our own lives if we don't keep our word, right? A little sinkhole opens up in our lives. Have you, ever had a, have you ever had a friend who ended up getting a divorce out of nowhere? You had no idea that they were having problems in their marriage. Have you ever had a job where somebody got fired and you had no idea that they weren't even performing well? Have you ever known a church that all of a sudden they end up closing up and you had no idea that there was problems? 
That's because every time we break our word, when we don't hold our contract, that little sinkhole gets a little bit bigger, and all of a sudden things start to fall apart, and everything can come crashing down. So one of the very first things that we need to do is stay committed to keeping our contracts. Everything that we do in life, even when you go out to lunch after church, you might use your credit card and and pay for something, and you're saying a promise, I'm going to pay you back, just pay for my Baja burrito right now, I'll pay you the $11 later. Everything in society is built on that. And so we can't stay in scoring position if we don't stay committed to keeping our, our contracts. The second point and the second thing that we need to do is keep your calendar aligned for community. And so I'm going to jump back to the last couple of weeks. Pastor Micaiah was sharing a really good story about uh, Joseph. And so Joseph, uh, up to this point, he's been favored by his father. He was favored by God. And his brothers became so jealous that they faked his death and then they sold him into slavery. And when he's sold into slavery, he makes his way to Egypt. And when he gets to Egypt, he's still following God's path. He's still swinging at the right pitches. He's still not swinging at the bad ones. And so God still shows him favor and God puts him in a position to be over, uh, over a big, uh, vast people in Egypt. But then something happens that Micaiah shared with us last week. Uh, Somebody comes to him, uh, Potiphar's wife, and says, hey, I I think that we should get busy. And he says, you know, I can't do that. I have reign over everything except for you. And so he ends up getting thrown in prison. So mindful, this guy has done everything right in his life. And sometimes we feel like this right. We go to church, uh, we tithe, we serve, and things are still going not the way you planned in your life. And so think about this. He's, he's in prison. And now, at this time, I'm going to read it. This is Genesis 41 through 7. It says, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker. So these are two important people uh, to the Pharaoh. Uh, to the baker, the king of Egypt, offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in the prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? So think about that. Joseph is get thrown into prison for something he didn't do. And we don't really know for exactly how long he's been in there. He's been sold to slavery by his own family. And when these folks come in there, these people probably had some reason for being in there. And he doesn't go up to them and say, hey, yeah, you deserve to be here. Yeah, ha, 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 He says, hey, why do you look so sad today? He takes time out of his day, out of his calendar, in order to just go up to these two men and build a relationship with you. Later in the story, the cupbearer actually is the person who reminds the pharaoh of Joseph's in jail. And so sometimes in life, I can think of instances where I've been in situations and I can see somebody walking towards me. I'm like, I just really don't want to deal with this person right now. Have you ever been that in that situation? You might be at work or uh, you might be at a family gathering. We just went through the holidays and you're at Thanksgiving. I really don't want to see Aunt Nancy right now. I just don't want to deal with that, right? And so Joseph goes out of his way to make this connection, to build community with these two people. And God uses that connection, that community, to better Joseph's life. And then later in the story, we're going to find out that he, in that situation, ends up saving 
I mean, probably thousands of lives because of the path that he's taking. And so keeping your calendar clear for community is what God has intended us to do. God has intended you to clear your, your calendar for your marriage, for your kids, for your people at church. For every person in your life, he's, he's talking about that. And you might think that sometimes, God, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to come to church. I don't have time to serve. God always has his calendar clear for us. He's always ready to talk to us. He's always ready for us to spend time with him. He's always there no matter what. And God has always kept that promise with him. Thank goodness, right? Because there's been times in my life I can think back when uh, a couple of years ago, me and my wife, we've been married for 11 years now, and probably four years ago, we hit our very first rough patch we, we ever had. And the biggest thing was we had two young kids. I was working really hard to get promoted. She was actually working a lot too. We neglected our calendars for each other. And because of that, like our marriage potentially could have fallen apart. And it took like a really big argument between us to figure out, hey, we need to stop what we're doing and prioritize each other because there's so much more at stake than whatever you're doing on your life. Remember back to what I said, remembering what counts on the last day. I wasn't going to say on my last day, man, I really wish I worked harder. You know, I wish I would have spent more time with my, my buddies. No, I really wish I would spend more time with my wife and I wish our relationship would thrive so that our children would grow up and see what a real godly marriage is and that they would marry men that also believe in God and that they would keep this pattern going and ultimately we could save souls because of that. And so keeping your calendar clear for the people that are important in your life and saying yes to certain situations where you may not ultimately want to is something that God has programmed for us because he does the same thing for us. Remember back what he said with Job. He said, Job hush up, man, that's enough, you know? Do you got to worry about all the stuff I have? But he still has time to even talk to Job. He's still always there ready to talk to us. And I just love that about God. The last little point here is when we're on second base, something that we need to focus on is forgive what you can't forget. And that's really the toughest one, right? Because uh, let's do another exercise. So we started with closing our eyes and thinking of the best time. What I want you to do is close your eyes and I'll think of, the worst time that's ever happened in your life. Think about the time that somebody took advantage of you in a really bad way or you got hurt by a loved one. Okay, I can think of a couple of things. And all of these things, they involve people too. That's the tough part, is that community goes both ways with human beings because of right from the beginning of the fall, our relationship was torn with each other as well as with God. And so sometimes it's really tough to forgive people, but in order to make community and have life with people, there's going to be times when we have to do that. In baseball, it's sacrilege to not keep score. I can remember in Little League, uh, I was at like a YMCA league, and they said, oh, we don't keep score. Um, just play the game, have fun. It's about your effort. That doesn't work in baseball. Every single one of the kids in that thing, we all kept score. We all knew exactly who was winning, and we all knew who was losing. Sometimes we do that in life, right? You know who hurt you. You know who you owe one to. You know who's wronged you, and you think, oh, just wait. I'm going to get you, right? Dee and I were talking earlier. In baseball, there's a lot of unwritten rules, and one of these unwritten rules is that if somebody hits your best player, maybe not necessarily the next at bat, or, but sometime after, somebody else on the other team is going to get hit. And life can be like that too, right? You might wronged by somebody or get taken advantage and you think okay all right i see you i'm gonna get you don't worry about that now why shouldn't we do that in hebrews 12 14 to 15 it says make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy 
Without holiness, no one will ever see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. If we look back to Joseph's story, it'd be very easy for Joseph to take things out on his brothers, right? Remember, his brothers faked his own death. They sold him into slavery. If we fast forward in this story, what ends up happening is Joseph ends up becoming in favor of the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has a dream, and this dream is pretty tricky. And so because of his relationships with Joseph's relationships with the two people in prison, the cupbearer remembers, hey, Pharaoh, I know this guy in prison. He interpreted my dream one time. Maybe we should give this guy a call. And what's funny is in the story, Joseph tells the cupbearer, he says, hey, I'll interpret your dream. God will give me the power to interpret your dream, but don't forget about me when you go out and you talk to Pharaoh. And the very next line in the Bible, it says, and the cupbearer forgot, and two years pass. So he stays in prison for two more years. Imagine if two whole years of your life is just one little sentence just like that, and two years pass. And he's in prison for something that he didn't even do, and the whole time he's trying to focus on God. That in itself is tough enough, but Joseph keeps a good heart, and when he comes out, the Pharaoh uh, calls him and says, hey, I had this dream. And so Joseph says, hey, through, through God, I'll be able to interpret this. And he says, hey, we're going to have seven really good years. We're going to be able to build up a bunch of supplies because in seven years after, we're going to have a huge famine and lots of people are going to be hungry. So the first seven years, we need to save all that we can because the next seven years, nobody's going to be eating anything. So the Pharaoh takes his word. Okay, let's do it. And he puts him in charge of collecting all the grain and saving everything. And then, sure enough, seven years pass. They build up all the supplies. And then about two years into the famine, all the other countries around Egypt realize, oh man, we got nothing to eat. But I heard Egypt's got some good stuff. So they start coming over and buying food from the Egyptians. And in those people is Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers travel over to Egypt. And they don't recognize Joseph when they get there. And they they bow down and they ask for food. But Joseph recognizes them. Can you imagine being in Joseph's shoes and seeing your brothers who sold you into slavery, who took advantage of you, and now they're coming down and bowing at your feet? Can I have some food? Oh, man, wouldn't you just love to be like, ah, no, off with their heads, please. Get rid of those people. They wronged me. I'm going to hit them back with a pitch, right, Dean? But instead, Joseph does the other thing. He forgives what he can't forget, and that's what God has told us to do. In Genesis 45, 4-7, this is when Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers. It says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there have been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant of earth and save your lives by a great deliverance what a good guy Joseph is can you imagine he just took all the bad things that have happened in his life and said hey God did all those things to put me in a position to save people's lives I can think of some things that have happened in my life and at the time I did not think like Joseph I can think back to about four or five years ago, um, I was really working towards getting a new position at work where you would um, oversee a lot of units instead of, of one unit. And there was 
two positions open at the time. They were interviewing three of us. So I had pretty good odds. And I had been around a lot longer than one of the individuals, and my numbers were a lot better. And so we go, we all three of us go interview, and a week passes by, and I get the phone call. Hey, Adam, thanks so much for interviewing. Sorry to say it wasn't you. And I thought, it just doesn't make sense. I was so angry at this other individual for no reason. It's not his fault, right? He's just trying to do the same thing I am. Come to find out, fast forward a year later, that position is eliminated from our company. That person's no longer with the company. Had I taken that, I would have moved my entire family to San Jose, probably bought a house I couldn't afford because I would have got let go from the company. And now, fast forward another year, I'm in a position that's even better than that. But in the time, oh, you don't think life like that, do you? You don't think, oh, this is hurting right now because God's clipping some stuff away so I can be better in four or five years. Even maybe 50 years, you don't know how God's plan works. Remember that picture of Mars? God operates on such different level than we do. It'd be like if you took an iPhone 10 and you put it next to an ant on the ground. Do you think an ant has any idea what the iPhone is? we got to sometimes think like that about God. We have no idea how big and powerful and vast and mighty and how his plan might play out in our lives. And sometimes it starts with forgiving those that you can't forget because God will play certain things out in your life in order to make you better in a situation. In this situation, Joseph ends up saving thousands of people because he had God's grace to interpret this dream and to save up food for people. There's a book written by a lady. Her name is... Corrie Ten Boom, and she was um, in Holland the time that Hitler was occupying um, Holland. She was hiding Jewish people from the Nazis, and her best friend turned her into the Nazis. She spent many, many years in a concentration camp, and somehow she survived all of this atrocities in her life. And when she gets out, she writes a book called Hiding Place, and she goes on a tour. And in this tour, she's, uh, she's in Munich, she's in Germany, and she's given a speech about how the grace of God is more powerful than anything a human being can do to you ever. And sometimes that can be tough in our life. And out in the audience, she sees the very SS officer who is in charge of her at the concentration camp. And she sees this individual start walking towards her. And all she can think about is, God, I can't, I can't look at this man. I can't shake this man's hand. I can't do it, God, I can't. And could you blame her? This very guy would put her and all of the other prisoners in a shower and gawk at them while they, while they bathed. They would torture them. I mean, unspoken human acts they would do upon this. And she sees the SS officer walking forward. And with tears in his eyes, he extends his hand and he says, isn't God's grace amazing that he can forgive anything? And right then she prays, God, please let me live my own message. And she feels all the pain and all the disappointment and all the anguish melt away. She shakes his hand. She says, you're right. God's grace is amazing. Folks, living in a community can be tough, right? Living in a community sometimes is hard. People take advantage of you. You feel like you're doing the right thing. You're, you feel like you're living the good life. And you see people going to success when you're not going to success. And you're thinking, God, how can I get there? I'm trying to live things the right way. I'm trying to run the bases the right way. I'm trying to connect with you. I'm trying to live my life right. I'm trying to be in the community. How come I'm not getting that success? And I see people cutting the corners. They say in baseball, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. It's a famous saying. And you might think, God, maybe I should just cheat. Maybe I should just cheat these bases so that I can get to success. I'm here to tell you today that you shouldn't. Your life will be better off if we live the bases the way that they're supposed to be intended. 
One of the best things, I'll close it with this, the best things I love about baseball are there are unwritten rules about baseball. There's a lot of written rules, you know, three strikes you're out, nine innings, 27 players on a team, 162 games in a season. But there's a lot of unwritten rules, and I really love these unwritten rules because you've got to be a real baseball fan to know these. One of these rules is if you hit a home run, you can't stare at it too long, which is really weird because that's kind of exciting. But you can't stare at it because you're showing up the pitcher. So if you hit a home run and you stare at it and you walk down the bases, odds are that pitcher's going to hit you. There's another unwritten rule. If somebody's throwing a no-hitter, that's, that means they're throwing a really good game. You can't talk to the pitcher about it. You can't go up to him and say, hey, man, really nice job. Hope you keep doing it because you might jinx them. There's another weird unwritten rule where you can't step on the pitcher's mound unless you're the pitcher. There's all really weird rules, but I love them about baseball because you've got to know baseball to do it. Christians have unwritten rules. You've got to look a certain way to come to our church. You've got to act a certain way. You can't love that type of person. You've got to be a Republican. You've got to be a liberal. You've got to be a libertarian. We have all these different unwritten rules. I can tell you, folks, God didn't make these rules. We made these rules. Come on. Everybody, please stand with me. There are two rules that Jesus tells us. All the rest we made up. Jesus says, love your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And love your neighbor how you want to be loved. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.